After today, there will be four Sundays left before Christmas, and that means next week is the first Sunday of Advent and the first of a a new mini-series of sermons that we're calling the King of Kings, Salvation Brings, and you probably recognize that as a line from the Christmas carol, What Child Is This?, but I think it really captures well the themes in Matthew chapters 1 and 2, and that's going to be our text for the season. So I hope you'll uh, begin with us next week and join us throughout that uh, series and use it as an opportunity to invite someone else to, to come along with you and be with us uh, through the month of December. Now, that also means that this week is the last sermon in our fall series of wise words, lessons from Proverbs, uh, except for a a bonus episode that's going to come uh, between Christmas and New Year's, so stay tuned for that. But if you remember a few weeks ago, we did wise words for big mouths. Uh, and I said I wanted to come back to get to the other side of that, uh, something about how we need to, to listen. That's a big topic in the book of Proverbs. That could be a whole series uh, in itself because the Proverbs teach us to, that, that we need to listen to wisdom, that we need to take advice, that we need to receive correction, sometimes rebuke. Uh, also talks about not listening to a lot of things, not listening to gossip or flattery or temptation or seduction, not, not listening to lies. Uh, but I decided to, to focus on listening specifically within our relationship to God. So today we have wise words for the hard of hearing. Are you hearing God? Is he hearing you? Are you hearing God? Now, you probably base your answer instinctively on, on whether you have a, I don't know, a clear sense of direction in life. Because life is confusing, so many decisions. Uh, God, what do you want me to do? I, I, what's the best way for me to go? I just, I can't hear you. Just, just let me know. Make it clear. Or what about the question, is, is he, is God hearing you? We, we typically gauge that by whether we, he's giving us what we ask for right? God, I asked you for a job, uh, uh, for a boyfriend. I asked you to take the pain away, whether physically or, or maybe emotionally, but nothing. I guess he's not hearing me. The Proverbs will help us think about these questions in a maybe a little bit different way, and it will also help us to get to where we can answer these questions with a confident yes. Am I hearing God? Is he hearing me? Yes. I want to, want to be able to leave today uh, being able to say that with confidence. So let's start, though, with hearing problems. Hearing problems. Uh, we've got two Proverbs that will help us see this. Proverb, first one, Proverbs 28.9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now, if you were a devout Israelite uh, hearing this proverb centuries ago, you would likely have a strong, instinctive reaction to hearing this. What? Prayer? An abomination? Prayer is, is good. It is holy. It is praiseworthy. How could it be despicable or disgusting? This, is, this proverb is a provocative, counterintuitive statement, which then forces us to go back and consider the first line, because the first line is the condition that makes the second line true. If this, then that. So, if one turns away from his ear from hearing, 
So we're, we're seeing right away that this hearing problem has nothing to do with you know, wax buildup or old age. This is a willful rejection. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put on my noise-canceling headphones right here so I don't have to listen to, to what? To, to whom? To, to the law that is God's law. This is about not listening to God. And that's clear uh, in the way that the two lines work together in a sort of parallel. See, we know that prayer is our speaking to God. The law is God speaking to us. This, this word here for law is Torah or God's instruction, his commands for his people. These were the, the rules, the guidelines, the, the parameters for life in community uh, in covenant. Uh, this is God's word for God's people. And then if you understand that, then, then suddenly what, what initially seemed so strange, prayer and abomination, well, it all makes sense. If, if you won't listen to God, he won't listen to you. Is that a surprise? I mean, you don't like it when somebody shuts you off, especially if you're someone with, in a position of legitimate authority and somebody just closes you off. If you're a teacher, a coach, a, a parent, a, a boss, and, 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 and you're not going to listen to me? I mean, that is, that is utter disrespect. Do you think God likes that any more than you do? Now, pay attention, though, to the wording here, the second line, even his prayer so, of course, God hates it when uh, this person disregards his law, naturally. And, and also, he hates their, their implied disobedience of the law. God detests that, too. But even when, even when that rebel decides to do something uh, apparently religious, moral, spiritual, God turns away his ear in disgust. Now, at this point, we might think, well, is that a problem with God? I mean, like he's giving people the cold shoulder? Is, or maybe you even think that there's a problem with the proverb. Is that actually accurate? I mean, doesn't, doesn't Jesus' story of the prodigal son tell us that, that God always welcomes us back with open arms, that he would never close his ear to us? Well, remember that parable. It, it, that, there are a couple of details that we need to remember. Yes, that son rejected his father when he ran off with his portion of the inheritance, squandered it all, but he returned. There was repentance and he found mercy. Now, there was nothing in him that made him, that son deserve the father's acceptance. Absolutely. There was still the grace and mercy of the father, but that son did return. This, this is not describing someone who has turned back. It, it, it doesn't, this proverb does not describe what we often call the sinner's prayer, someone coming uh, sincerely seeking forgiveness. God always hears the humble, repentant prayer. This proverb describes the hypocrite. He doesn't want a real relationship uh, uh, with God of give and take that includes both love and obligation, love and responsibility. He just wants what he can get out of it on his terms. Well, Proverbs says, get wise. If you don't listen to God, he won't listen to you. Now, maybe you're here today and you don't think that's much of a problem. You're here today not because you are uh, a, a spiritual seeker today uh, or, a, or a true believer. You're here today because some, I don't know, somebody dragged you here and uh, you just wandered in or whatever. And, and you might think, I don't, it doesn't much bother me if God's not listening to me because I don't want to listen to God. 
I don't care if he listens to me. I'm not doing much praying anyway. Listen to this next proverb. And it's another example of this kind of hearing problem. I'm going to think it's going to make that, this issue a little more acute for you. So here's the next under hearing problems. Proverbs 21, verse 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. So that first part, again, this problem here is not a malfunction of the two funny-looking things on either side of your head. This person is not unable to hear. They are unwilling to hear. And that cry of the poor is not just simply a cry of suffering. It is a cry for help. But some just won't hear, which further implies they won't do anything about it. Other places in Scripture, of course, condemn the sins of greed and selfishness. And other places in Scripture, we could look, commend the virtues of generosity and mercy. This, this is a, a proverb. And that, what it does is it simply points out the consequences of this bad behavior. And the wisdom is in the warning. If you refuse to respond to others in need, no one will respond to you in your need. Now, that's putting it negatively, uh, and, and we know this kind of thing. You know, when you're, when you're, uh, if you, if somebody's asking you, hey, could you, could you help, um, you know, with this, this move, for example, could you, could you help me move, you know, and you're always like, ah, no, I'm busy, I can't do it, and you know, when it's time for you to move, mm, guess what, not going to be many people lining up, or that's putting it negatively. Uh, let me use a, a more positive example that I think you're probably familiar with. I'm, I would imagine the vast majority here today have at one time or another, seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life, right? 1946 holiday classic. It plays over and over uh, every year at this time of year during the Christmas season. You don't have to endorse its depiction of angels to enjoy the movie. Uh, George Bailey, uh, played by Jimmy Stewart, gives up his dreams of, of travel and adventure to stay home to run the family-owned Bailey Brothers building and loan, not to enrich himself, but to help working-class people make a better life. But when his business partner, uncle, uh, makes a terrible mistake, mislays uh, a lot of cash that ends up in the hands of their nemesis, Mr. Potter, you know, that it looks like George would be ruined. His business lost, losing his house, losing his reputation. He could go to jail, losing his wife, his family, everything ruined but you've seen the movie, right? In the final scene, all the people whom George has helped over the years step forward to supply the cash that had been lost. See, over the years, George Bailey had opened his ear to the cry of the poor, and in the moment when he called out, he was answered. People are always ready to help a kind, generous man like George Bailey. Nobody is lining up to help nasty, greedy old Mr. Potter. The one who gives mercy gets mercy. It's a wonderful life. Now, at this moment, for you in your life, you may have money in your pocket, money in the bank, resources to spare. But you have to know that inevitably, there will come a day for you when you are the one in need. 
When you've got the money in your pocket, then it's like, ah, I don't want to, I'm not sure I want to give. I'm not sure I want to help somebody else. Like, I, I've got it. It's, it's mine. It feels good to have some of that safety and security to have what I want. But when you are the one in need, and if you do not answer the cry for help with others, then when you cry for help, you won't be answered either. Not from your neighbors, not from God. So that, that's the implication. He will not be answered. By, by whom? By, by others, by, by God. James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Right now, you might not care if God hears you because you don't think you need anything, so you don't need God. But what happens when you finally realize that you are in desperate need, when you come to that day when you are in need, when you are about to lose everything, when you are to be ruined for eternity, and his ears are just as closed to you as yours were to the needy. See, these two Proverbs do really go hand in hand. If the second commandment, if the second great commandment is uh, to love your neighbor, that's God's law. Then closing your ear and your heart to a person in need is turning your ear from God's word. It's closing your ear to God. And Jesus' parable uh, about Lazarus and the rich man tells us much the same. This is from Luke 16. There was a rich man who feasted sumptuously every day while Lazarus, the poor, was laid at his gate with hopes to be fed just from the scraps of the rich man's table. The rich man ends up in hell and begs for Lazarus to be sent to warn his brothers who are still alive. But he is told the rich man in Hades, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. They were unwilling to hear God's word. They were unwilling to hear the cry of the poor, and they were unheard by God and forever damned. These are wise words for the heart of hearing, and it serves as a warning. But there's, there's hope for us in the Proverbs as well. This is part two, hearing aid. Proverbs 20, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And you're like, like well, that's, that's not too profound. Uh, sort of give a little shrug, well, whatever. Yeah, I know the Bible teaches that, the God, that God is the creator of all things, so of course God made our ears and our eyes. No wisdom here. Well, I don't think we should ever move too quickly past the, the, the fact that, that our eyes, our ears are, are marvels of bioengineering, complex, fine-tuned. When working properly, your eye can distinguish all kinds of colors, can focus near and far. You can spot an eight-point buck at about 100 yards or more away. That's, that's pretty, pretty amazing. And, and your ear can take in the glories of a symphony or the faint buzz of a mosquito in the middle of the night. And you can identify one particular granddaughter just by the sound of her voice over the telephone. That's amazing. So this proverb is saying something that is fascinating and wonderful and true. Well, okay, maybe a glorious fact, but is it wisdom? What's the insight that we need here? Well, one possibility is what uh, Moses needed to learn. Do you remember the, the story in, in early in Exodus where 
God commissions Moses to be his spokesman, challenging mighty Pharaoh on behalf of God's people, the enslaved people of Israel. Moses said, not, not me, I'm not a good speaker. But then, this is Exodus 4, 11, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, it's a, this is a whole side issue, but it's fascinating why it speaks of God, actually for the most part in that verse, of the God who makes things not to work. But he does say seeing or blind. If God is the creator of hearing ears, of seeing eyes, and speaking mouths, then at least one lesson's got to be, then, then you can do whatever he asks you to do. He asks you to do something for him with what he's given you. It's possible. You can't, don't argue with God. Like, I can't do that. You can do whatever he asks you to do. Chew on that. But there's more to this proverb that it speaks to our theme today. And to get to that, you need to slow down and think about the significance. Why does it say, why does it talk about ear and eye? I mean, why not, why not fingers and toes? I mean, they're, they're pretty remarkable too. I mean, that's pretty handy, uh, pretty, pretty good for, you know, grabbing things, um, for walking around, keeping your balance. Well, the ear and the eye are sensory organs of perception. So naturally, they're a part of our understanding. We, even, we, we say stuff like, ah, oh, I, I see what you're saying. Or, yeah, I, I hear you, I hear you. You know, like the, these things are, are part of our, our sensory uh, organs of, of perception, of understanding, also connected then to faith and obedience. We talk about seeing and believing, or we hear and obey. Uh, in fact, the Hebrew word translated here in this verse as hearing, the hearing ear, is often used to mean obey or obedient. As in a verse we looked at a couple of weeks ago, 1 Samuel 15, 22, where Samuel says to Saul when he is blatantly disobeying, he says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. It's, it's more, more literally, but it's, the, the meaning is there. To hear is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. But, it, but it, the significance, the meaning, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. It's the same word used in Ezekiel 3, 7, where God says to the prophet, but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you for they are not willing to listen to me because of all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. This hearing problem was an obedience problem, and it wasn't a problem with their ears. It was a problem of the heart. And later in Ezekiel, God promises that he will give his people new hearts. And, but, and they will be effectively a new creation. Of course he can do that. He's the God who made the heart in the first place. He is the creator God. He can give them the right kind of heart. But we can get some of that same encouragement from this proverb. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. It's more than just affirming the doctrine of creation. It points to the hope of new creation. A new hearing ear and a seeing eye in terms of not just walking around and seeing your surroundings, but of understanding and obeying. He can do that in your life. You can't change your heart, not in its attitude toward God, not in its capability to desire or to accomplish what is right and good, any more than you could sit down and, and make an eye or an ear. 
But God is the maker of hearing ears and seeing eyes, of understanding eyes and obeying ears, granting uh, by His grace the faith that comes by hearing and turning us into a people that no longer close our ears or turn away our ears, but those who hear and heed His Word. And maybe for you this morning, this is, this is the point that you need to get. Maybe, maybe this is the critical place for where you're at, coming in not caring if you hear God, not caring if God hears you, but knowing that God can do this. God can give you ears to hear. And, and you could pray today, Lord, Lord, open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart to you, change my heart. He will hear that prayer. And honestly, if you, if you are really, truly, truly praying that today, I believe he's already begun to answer it. He's already opening your ears, changing your heart. And we'd love to help you live into that new life. But that new creation is just the beginning. And this is why the sermon doesn't end here. We don't just get to the point of where God changes us and gives us life. The new creation is just the beginning of a life of hearing God and obeying His Word. It's also the blessing then of living in relationship and fellowship with Him. And so this is part three, being heard. Being heard. Proverbs 15, 8 The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Now, we looked at a very similar proverb a couple of weeks ago. Uh, That was Proverbs 21, 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? What makes this proverb different is the contrast between the two lines, something that's an abomination and something that's acceptable to him. And the diff- is the difference then in the activity, uh, sacrifice in the first line versus prayer in the second? Well, if you think about that, no, no, because both of those have to do with worship. Both of those are being offered to God. They're, they're, not, they're not the same, but they're, they're distinct, but they are complementary. They're talking about the same kinds of things. It's, again, two different things that give us the, the fuller picture. What makes the difference in God's response is the other point of contrast. Of course, it's the character of the worshiper, the wicked, as opposed to the upright or the righteous. Now, we, we saw this a couple of weeks ago. God happily accepts the sacrifice offered for sin by the sinner, naturally. It's a sacrifice for sin. He happily accepts the sacrifice for sin by the repentant person, but from the hard-hearted It is a stench in his nostrils. And it's implied here, again, uh, sacrifice and prayer, both uh, distinct but in the same same vein here. It's implied that, of course, the prayer of the wicked would be just as detestable, while the prayer of the upright is welcomed. Now, the word in the second line, acceptable, um, is interesting and in some ways unfortunate because acceptable to us means, you know, good enough just barely. I mean, that's what we hear, at least what's what I hear acceptable, like, like a D minus on a report card or hospital food. You know, it's like disappointing, but acceptable. All right. Uh, acceptable is the translation here because it, 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 it is something of a technical term in scripture for what God receives 
rather than rejects in worship. Thinking especially as, you know, sacrifice prayer, coming to the tabernacle, coming to the temple in the, in the biblical context, coming before God, into God's presence in worship, are you accepted or rejected? Are you welcomed or cast out? Acceptable. So this is, and, and that's what makes, um, what makes it all the more powerful when we read later in Scripture in the book of Acts where Peter says to Cornelius, this is Acts 10, 34 and 35, Peter, the apostle, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean that Cornelius earned his good status with God by his good behavior. He had to trust Christ. I mean, read the whole story. He had to trust in Jesus Christ. But in Christ, here's the key, in Christ, even a Gentile was welcomed into the presence of God. Even a Gentile was acceptable in Christ. So even better, the word here in Proverbs, acceptable, is a lot stronger than just, hmm, good enough. It has to do with God's favor and his goodwill. It really does stand in sharp contrast to, with abomination. So it's not like abomination on one, like abomination and mm, acceptable. No, it, it's abomination it, it, and, and acceptable. This is a, a, a sharp contrast. It's as strong as his disgust is with the insincere worship of the wicked, so powerful and enthusiastic is his delight in the prayer and worship from one, the one whose heart is in the right place. What would it mean to you today to know that, that God hears you and that you are acceptable, not acceptable like, well, okay, I'll put up with you. Not, not that, not disappointing, but all right. Not that kind of acceptable, but welcomed, affirmed, that he delights in you, that he welcomes and delights in you. He will not screen your calls or let your prayers go to voicemail. He wants to hear your voice. And that's just, and that's just part of the blessing of being heard. Here's the other, the other proverb, Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So uh, again, another contrast between the two lines. Both lines talk about something the Lord is or does, but there's a big difference in the response having to do with, again, two very different kinds of people, the wicked and the righteous. But there's something here, maybe you notice, that about these two lines don't quite, well, line up. A perfect contrast would either be the Lord is far from the wicked, but he is near to the righteous, right? Or if you want to put it the other way, the Lord does not hear the prayer of the wicked, but he does hear the prayer of the righteous. And I pointed this out before. We hear, we've seen it just earlier in the, the way that sacrifice and prayer work together. Uh, this is part of the creative genius in the Proverbs. They give us the fuller picture by implying uh, more than, than what's on the page. So uh, let me bring this, this sermon to a close by phrasing both of these in terms of the righteous. And, and in New Testament terms, this is the one who is by faith in Christ and is following him is righteous in Christ and, and living rightly. The Lord is near you and he hears you. This is the wisdom we need 
Not just, not just a truth or a teaching or a doctrine. It's wisdom because we so often feel like the opposite. Where are you, God? I feel so alone in my pain. Or I feel so lost without some, some guidance from you. What, what am I supposed to do in this situation? But, but his word, but God speaks to us in his word, assuring us that he is near. Psalm 145.18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Or Psalm 34.18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. There are times that God may feel far away, may seem like he's absent, but he is as near as a prayer. The Lord is near you, and he hears you. Now, we've been, I've been saying this all throughout this sermon. Hearing in these verses is more than simply the reception of sound waves causing vibrations in the eardrum. Hearing is paying attention in a way that reflects the attitude of the heart. In, in Scripture, the right, the right kind of hearing is virtually equated with obeying. And the, and the word that does double duty, hear, obey, is the same one here. Now, we would be rightly hesitant to translate the second line as, but he, the Lord, obeys the prayer of the righteous. Well, wait a minute, That's, that didn't sound right. Obeying is a, a fitting word for a response to the command of someone in authority, but we're, we don't pray as someone in authority with God, you know, obeying our command. We do not command God. But it is not wrong to understand this verse to be saying that because of the attitude of his heart, again, this is not just about his ear, but the attitude of his heart, that the Lord heeds the prayer of the righteous. Meaning it not, it, not only that it registers with him, he acts on it. He answers it. Maybe not the way that you wanted him to answer it. That if you're, if you're just registering, well, I don't think God's hearing me because he's not doing what I want him to do. Well, maybe you need to think about how you understand God and where you sit and who's, who really knows best and who's really in charge. But when God, God does, you need to know then that God is hearing, that he is acting, and that he cares. Just, just as just as sobering and horrifying it should be to us to think that if we close our ear to the poor, failing to answer, failing to respond with help, then when we cry out in our time of need, God will not answer us. Sobering, horrifying. It should be likewise as encouraging to you. As, I mean, literally giving you courage to live in, a, in troubled times. Strength and hope to live in, in a world of darkness. When you know that, according to Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, near a, and hears. Near, a very present, here he helps in time of need. Therefore, we will not fear. He is near and he hears and we will not fear. Are you hearing God? Is he hearing you? I mean, let's take hold of the blessing of being heard.
Father, we thank you that you invite us, that you, that you tell us, that you delight to hear from us when we come with sincerity, when we come with faith, when we come truly seeking you and not just seeking to get from you on our terms. God, would you open ears today? I pray this because I, I know and believe I cannot open any ears or hearts today. This preacher cannot do that. But your word says that you are the maker of hearing ears and seeing eyes. And God, open eyes today. Open ears, change hearts today by your word, not mine. And then God, give us together the joy of being heard. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.